obsessions to the point of becoming empire builders or politicians. The obsessions of the ordinary person tend to focus on the here and now, on the realm of immediate gratification through sex, food, and drugs. An obsession with the chemical constituents of food and drugs, also called metabolites, is labeled an addiction. Addictions and obsessions are unique to human beings. Yes, ample anecdotal evidence supports the existence of a preference for intoxicated states among elephants, chimpanzees, and some butterflies. But as when we contrast the linguistic abilities of chimpanzees and dolphins with human speech, we see that these animal behaviors are enormously different from those of humans. Habit. Obsession. Addiction. These words are signposts along a path of ever-decreasing free will. Denial of the power of free will is implicit in the notion of addiction, and in our culture, addictions are viewed seriously, especially exotic or unfamiliar addictions. In the 19th century, the opium addict was the opium fiend, a description that harkened back to the idea of a demonic possession by a controlling force from without. In the 20th century, the addict as a person possessed has been replaced with the notion of addiction as a disease— and with the notion of addiction as a disease, the role of free will is finally reduced to the vanishing point. After all, we are not responsible for the diseases that we may inherit or develop. Today, however, human chemical dependence plays a more conscious role than ever before in the formation and maintenance of cultural values. Since the middle of the 19th century, and with ever greater speed and efficiency, organic chemistry has placed into the hands of researchers, physicians, and ultimately everyone an endless cornucopia of synthetic drugs. These drugs are more powerful, more effective, of greater duration, and in some cases, many times more addictive than their natural relatives. An exception is cocaine, although a natural product, when refined, concentrated, and injected, is particularly destructive. The rise of a global information culture has led to the ubiquity of information on the recreational, aphrodisiacal, stimulating, sedative, and psychedelic plants that have been discovered by inquisitive human beings living in remote and previously unconnected parts of the planet. At the same time that this flood of botanical and ethnographic information arrived in Western society, grafting other cultures' habits onto our own and giving us greater choices than ever— Great strides were being made in the synthesis of complex organic molecules and in the understanding of the molecular machinery of genes and heredity. These new insights and technologies are contributing to a very different culture of psychopharmacological engineering. Designer drugs such as MDMA or ecstasy and anabolic steroids used by athletes and teenagers to stimulate muscle development are harbingers of an era of ever more frequent and effective pharmacological intervention in how we look, perform, and feel. The notion of regulating on a planetary scale, first hundreds and then thousands of easily produced, highly sought-after, but illegal synthetic substances is appalling— to anyone who hopes for a more open and less regimented future. An Archaic Revival This book will explore the possibility of a revival of the archaic, or pre-industrial and pre-literate, attitude toward community, substance use, and nature, an attitude that served our nomadic prehistoric ancestors long and well, before the rise of the current cultural style we call Western. The Archaic refers to the Upper Paleolithic, a period seven to 10,000 years in the past, immediately preceding the invention and dissemination of agriculture. The Archaic was a time of nomadic pastoralism and partnership, a culture based on cattle raising, shamanism, and goddess worship.
I have organized the discussion in a roughly chronological order, with the last and most future-oriented sections taking up and recasting the archaic themes of the early chapters. The argument proceeds along the lines of a pharmacological pilgrim's progress. Thus I have called the four sections of the book Paradise, Paradise Lost, Hell, and hopefully not too optimistically, Paradise Regained. Obviously, we cannot continue to think about drug use in the same old ways. As a global society, we must find a new guiding image for our culture, one that unifies the aspirations of humanity with the needs of the planet and the individual. Analysis of the existential incompleteness within us that drives us to form relationships of dependency and addiction with plants and drugs will show that at the dawn of history, we lost something precious, the absence of which has made us ill with narcissism. Only a recovery of the relationship that we evolved with nature through use of...